Everything kind of started right at the very beginning of the pandemic for me. You know, I recorded the, started working on the album, like, you know, the weeks, the weeks of, you know, the first weeks of the pandemic when it just, you know, we still thought it was going to be a, a few days or a few months at the worst. And then, you know, two years later, we're still in it. So it's been, it's been interesting. How do you tend to fill the time in those, uh, in those days when you're not touring. Let's see. Let's think back to that time three months ago. <laughs> it's not too hard for me. I was. I remember I was reading a lot. That was nice. You know, practicing, which, you know, those are two things that are really, really hard to do in the usual um, time of touring. Um, that's, yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much it. I was, you know, staying a little busy playing towards the end when I moved to Texas, but for the most part, I was just able to, to spend time working on music, which, which is great. Yeah, you actually relocated during the pandemic, is that right? Yeah, that's right. You came to uh, this world-renowned live music town while everything was shut down. Yeah. What brought you out to Austin? Um, it started out like I came down to Texas for a for an artist residency. It was in West Texas. And, you know, there was also the problem of not being able to make a living because at the you know at the time Milwaukee was sh- shut down completely like you couldn't can go anywhere but Texas was not really concerned about anybody's safety so I was like let's <laughs> which is nice in that you can play but also is that really something that you want to do <laughs> like do you really want to sit in a room and you know sing your heart out in front of a bunch of unvaccinated people without masks on yeah it was definitely tough at at first I was only really doing outdoor stuff so I felt you know a little bit better about that and then stuff was like limited capacity inside and I started doing that and I was like, well, that doesn't make any difference because everybody's still not wearing a mask, getting in your face and all this stuff. So I didn't feel good about that at all. But, you know, by then I was, I don't know what it was, something about, you know, maybe it's peer pressure or something. But by the time I was in Texas, I was like, well, I guess this is, this is normal now. Austin's a great place to be as a musician in a normal year. I, I'm in New York, and I assume even like versus New York, you've got probably more places to play on any given night. Yeah, definitely. Have there been any sort of marked advantages to your relocation so far, in spite of everything? I don't know. You know, I, I hesitate to be too critical of Austin just because, yeah, I've been here only in the in the pandemic. But my sort of impression right now is that there's always a place to play a guitar, but it's not necessarily of any use to anyone. What's that mean? It means like compared to other cities that I've been in that have different scenes and different communities. I think the real the real thing that makes Austin a music city is that there's a guy playing guitar at the airport and there's a guy playing piano at the restaurant and there's a guy playing guitar on the corner. But as far as like really interesting music community, that's a lot. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it's been hard to find, I say. You know, in the same way that that your primary experience there is during a pandemic, my primary experience there has been during South by Southwest, which I also realize is not like a very good way to gauge Austin. But the thing that really struck me the first time I visited the, the city and was walking down that that main drag was just the, you know, you, you would look into these uh, open air multi-level bars and there would be like four or five different bands or four or five different musicians mm-hmm. playing at the same time. And it's almost, it's almost an embarrassment of riches. And it's probably like, like you said, I mean, 
you know, somebody busking on a street corner or somebody playing on, on the airport, music isn't, maybe it's not a novelty and maybe it's not something special and maybe it's really hard to distinguish yourself when everybody is playing it. Yeah, that's definitely an aspect of it. And, you know, it's South by Southwest has its own reputation. And it's not even a, like, you know, nothing against the artists who are here because there's definitely a lot of talented and creative people. But Austin is just moving in a certain direction. It's so expensive. It's so, like, homogenous that, you know, yeah, they'll just stick you in a room full of people who are just happen to be there. And then you're there and you, you could be farting into the microphone and no one would know the difference, you know? Yeah, well, you know, in, in certain scenes, it's probably <laughs> welcome. Yeah. <laughs> An avant-garde approach of sorts. But obviously, you know Milwaukee better than, than anywhere. I mean, you came up in that scene. How was that making the kind of music that you make? It was it was good. I think the the kind of music that I make, I didn't really start making till you know the tail end of my time in Milwaukee, at least like you know I guess professionally or whatever. So we're talking like twenty nineteen, that recently. More like twenty twenty sixteen, twenty fifteen was when I started doing like acoustic folk kind of stuff, like in earnest. And before that, there was a you know a, a, a small. Well, maybe it wasn't even that small, but there was a, a folk music scene that I was aware of, but wasn't a part of. But yeah, it was really, it was truly a community. You know, there was a lot of great music that came out of it, but there wasn't really a whole lot of, nobody had really big intentions beyond the scene. Not that nobody was ambitious. Everybody was, you know, really working hard and doing the best they could, but it was just to be able to be, a part of that community and to get a hundred people out, you know, on a Friday night was like a huge accomplishment. And that was really all anybody wanted. And, you know, sometimes things grew out of that. The scene itself was more the, the, you know, the, the means it was the end all, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and people obviously have different levels of ambition, but it sounds like mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you wouldn't classify yourself that way. It sounds like you wanted something more than that. Yeah, I, 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 I did. And, you know, even my ambition kind of, uh, it fluctuates throughout the year. <laughs> but I, I don't even think that I needed to escape that because of my goals or ambitions. I think I just am the kind of person who, at a certain point, I grow out of every scene that I'm in just because I don't, uh, I don't know, something about, you know, you always want to find like-minded people, but then some people are just kind of hard-headed and they just want to be, Maybe I'm a contrarian. I'm not a contrarian. I'm not an asshole or anything. I just, (laughs) I like to move around and be around different communities. Okay. (laughs) You know, I've talked to a lot of jazz musicians over the years and in jazz music, there's always this tension between the desire to sort of, you know, put this music in a museum. You know, we've got like Lincoln Center out here in New York, right? And it's almost like, it's like treating it like it's classical music or, or, or opera and capturing it in, in amber. And I suspect that there's a certain sense of that to some degree in folk, but probably even more so in the, in the blues, right? In that there's this desire to really, to enshrine it as this great American music and, and, maybe that doesn't really leave a lot of room for experimentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't really leave a lot of room for anything. I think it's really weird to, to, yeah, to, to kind of, to look, to take this very academic look at a style of music like jazz or blues or, you know, American folk music, because we're not that far removed from the source. You know, there are people alive today who have, had conversations with the first 
recorded jazz musicians and blues musicians. Like it's not it's not ancient history. So I think it's important to to remember that it's still alive. Like this thing that we kind of consider the canon was really just the beginning. So there's no reason to like try to seal this one era in amber and say this is the the standard. I think what's happening today, it's hard to see what today's folk music is because it's not a, it's not style a style or a genre. It's a it's a cultural thing, you know. It's the obviously folk music is is folk music. We were talking about you being a contrarian and uh, having sort of like difficulty staying put in a scene too long. I think you know initially we were speaking geographically, but on the genre front, is there difficulty there? You know, in the sense that the, sort of the expectations that people have with something that calls itself the the blues and whether you you sort of not not just continuing in that tradition but trying to sort of push the boundaries whether there's some tension there yeah i think that's something i've i've struggled with a lot especially before i even started you know my career as buffalo nichols is something that that's on the mind of anybody who enters blues or jazz is this idea that you know they they call them traditionalists but i don't even know if that's the right word for them cuz you know young artists will enter this this world and they will they will already be thinking of the opinions of somebody who's decided that this 10 years is the standard. Comparing everything you do to 10 or 15 years of this one particular piece of the history, it's very, very limiting. And in fact, I think that's kind of why blues and jazz, you know, for, for example, are where they are today, which is music that a lot of people aren't interested in, is because it just got stuck and it gets started reverting because people keep regurgitating the same ideas over and over again until it's condensed down to this weird like stereotype or just like uninteresting version of what it was. Meanwhile, the actual culture has grown and moved on and taken on different names and it's still alive and it's just totally ignored by the people who claim to want to preserve it. I mean, I could be wrong, but it, that, that feels more the case with blues than jazz because you know, jazz did go in a lot of different directions. And certainly now we're seeing like Mossy Washington and, and we're seeing like, you know, we're seeing some of these, these, these artists kind of break through doing something a little bit different. He's a good example of somebody who like is crossing over into hip hop, for example. And I, I don't know, I don't know if blues exists in the same way in 2021. Yeah. The blues gets, gets kind of tricky because of genres and the music industry because there were you know as far as i'm concerned which is this is just a, a random theory that i have but you know there's kind of two pivotal moments in the blues one is you know the sort of great depression i guess which you know displaced a lot of the early blues artists and kind of shut down the music industry the, the dust bowl yeah this whole yeah yeah basically the, during that entire era this is you know the beginning of the careers of Skip James and Robert Johnson coincided with the, the near or the collapse of the American economy. So, and then there, well, there's also a lot of these artists ended up abandoned, not playing music for a living, doing other things. And then you have the great migration that coincides with that. And then around that same time, you have these musicians who have that music has grown with them and traveled with them. And then it ends up, in the Midwest, and it ends up becoming all these different things, rock and roll, the city blues, Chicago blues, um, all these things. And then when that happens, I guess this is happening at the same time as the folk music revival, you know, in the, or I guess the end of that is the beginning of the folk music revival in the 50s and 60s. You've got sort of Woody Guthrie, and I was sort of coming up around, I mean, I think he probably befriended Lead Belly kind of mm. toward the end of his time. 
there's right, definitely so I, overlap there. Yeah. So, so to me, it's just interesting that you have an artist like, you know, Muddy Waters, for example, who was playing if, essentially when he started his career, he was contemporary as a lot of these re- revival, rediscovered folk blues artists. But he was still around and he was known as a modern electric blues artist. And then he was also around when rock and roll happened and when Elvis happened. So within the lifespan of one artist, you have, you know, the Delta folk blues and you have rock and roll. And within the career of one artist, you have all these things. Yeah, not not even just around. I mean, and, and not even just Elvis, but Muddy Waters is probably the best example of this. And, and Howlin' Wolf, too, where... I mean, they went to Europe and they were revered. All of those British invasion groups, you know, the, the, the Stones and everyone, all the Yardbirds. I mean, they were they were treated like heroes. They even went beyond Elvis. Yeah, and in some ways they did. But, you know, I, I just bring them up and as rambling a bit. But um, because basically once the, the once the genre got a new face, which was Elvis, Everything that kind of came after that was no longer considered the blues, even though it's pretty much the same thing. So then you have another 10 years, you get to Jimi Hendrix and you go to Black Sabbath, all with which is like within 20 years of each other. But we don't see the link. Whereas somebody like Kamasi Washington is pretty musically distant from somebody like Louis Armstrong. But we are still able to see the the lineage there. Do you classify yourself as a blues or is that something that's been kind of put on you? Uh, I guess a little bit of, of both. I The music that I've been releasing is, you know, undeniably in, the, in that vein. Um, but I don't think, to me, it's just an extension of what I do is I, I consider it to be folk music, but I, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of blues enough that I don't get bothered anymore. People call me a blues artist or a blues guitarist, whatever they say. What is the distinction there? I know we're getting kind of abstract here. I guess it's probably the playing style, right? I don't know. Maybe it's the, the playing style. Maybe it's the lyrical content. I've just never really been comfortable with the, any kind of labels just because I've not, this is, you know, this has been two years, two or three years of my, of my life. I've been making music for you know a long time doing a lot of different things. So people know me as this one thing, but I think it might, I think it might be that, that sort of that contrarian in you that we we're talking about before that at a certain point you get uncomfortable when the label is applied to you too many times because you start to feel fenced in. Yeah. I think that's, that's especially with, with something like the blues. I think it's one of those genres that people without even taking the time to discover it are automatically just against they don't want to be bothered listening to blues or jazz or you know country whatever they have deemed to be not worth their time and it's also i i personally am i'm not a fan of blues music per se you know like i would never be caught well let me let me tone it down a little bit <laughs> no no i like where this is going i want to I want to hear where, where you're headed with this. You've obviously listened to it and you've obviously immersed yourself in it to some degree. And it, and it has been important for you at various points in your life. Yeah. When I was, you know, before I, before the label and everything and all the attention, I was really taking a critical look at, at, you know, contemporary modern blues and trying to understand what, which acts were doing well and why and what it, what 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 the community looked like if there was one and i'm still not i still haven't seen what the big deal is i mean i get why people don't listen to the blues it's not there's nothing happening that's really worth anyone's time because the artists 
us, it's they're regurgitating so much. It's like, why would I pay money to see a bad version of something that's 70 years old? That was done really well already. It's like that to some degree, because I do think that less so with jazz, but also to a certain degree with jazz, someone like a tourist is in Chicago and they they, mm-hmm. they want to go see the blues on a certain night. They've got a certain expectation of what something's going to sound right. right? Yeah. It's going to it's going to sound like Muddy Waters or it's going to sound like like B.B. King or something. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably part of why it's stagnated, because people have certain expectations of what they want in the blues. Yeah, it's the, the rules were set very rigidly and way too early before it was really allowed to, you know, grow in and develop. So I think it's it's not really helpful. I and mean, as soon as you call it, I, I've never really, maybe I have called myself a blues artist, but I think it's a, it's a bad idea to put that label on yourself because, you know, nobody knows what it means. I mean, and anybody who thinks they know what it means is thinking of something you know, like you're saying, these sort of stereotypes. I do like to listen to interviews with people before I speak to them. And listening to, you know, a few, probably closer to, to when the record came out, there was a sense that I got from you in that you wanted to be an ambassador to a younger generation who don't know what the blues is and like specifically like younger black Americans who feel no connection with it all. Mm-hmm. And that you almost considered what you do to be, if not educational, at least to sort of like bridge the gap with th- this form of music that so many people have lost connection to. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I've struggled with and something I've probably unnecessarily put on myself. That is a, that is a lot to put on yourself. But I, I, I do still feel like an ambassador in a way, not to say that I'm carrying the flag or I'm passing the torch. I just want to be someone that I don't want people to like be inspired by me or to pick up where I left off or anything. I just want people to use me as the sort of conduit to say, okay, I can go back to this stuff and do it myself. You know what I mean? I don't want anyone to get the idea that I'm, I figured it out and I've revitalized the blues. I just want people to just go back to the source and make it work for themselves. Because if you try to go, if you, if your introduction to the blues is whatever is, marketable in the blues world right now, I think it's going to lead you very far astray. So I'm just, again, I'm here to just tell you, go, go back and then come back and skip all that other stuff <laughs> that's happening right now. Does this, this mean that we're going to expect something sort of like radically different, that you're going to push back on that label, not just in, in concept, but like musically on record going forward? Yes, I, I, I think so. Um, I, I'm get, getting the feeling now that a lot of artists want to do that. Any artist that comes in with their first album in a sort of genre sort of package always wants to be different. I think that's normal. But I just think that, you know, a lot of these great artists that the greatest of, of this genre, a lot of them only had one or two records. And I think there there really is a sort of expiration date on some of this stuff but and at the same time there's the artists who put out 10 albums and they're all great but they all sound the same you know what i mean there's if we're being completely honest and i might regret saying this soon but i feel like when you're working within these genres 
it gets old really fast. You can only do one or two before you've explored all the ideas and you ha- you just have no choice but to do something radically different. One, and you alluded to this earlier, but one, it's a much broader spectrum than people tend to think about. Again, we're, mm-hmm. we're really like basing our, our conversation specifically around electric blues. But, you know, you talked about the Delta blues before. And I, I remember the first time I heard really just a lot of that early stuff. There was a quality to it that I think is, you know, and I do, I do like the electric blues, but like Skip James, for example, I remember the first time I heard, was it Devil Got My Woman? Is that the name of the song? And it was just this like haunting otherworldly song. There was something, I sorry, I'm going to make a huge jump here, but I know that for in, in probably like middle school, high school, you were really engaged with like West African music Mm -hmm. and there's a link there that I don't think that has been exploited a lot. Was it Torre? Is that, uh, I, I remember randomly stumbling on a record, Desert Blues, in, um, in college and realizing that there was a musical link there. I mean, obviously he embraced the blues, right? He played with Ry Cooter and like yeah, he was super interested in it, but he got to something. He got to a certain a sense of that kind of haunting ambience that is so disconnected with a lot of the modern blues. Yeah, I think that that exists in so many different, you know, sort of folklorical, like, you know, music, folk musics around the world. When you have just one singer and an instrument who plays an instrument, some you just feel that, that sort of human connection. It's sparse. Yeah, it's sparse, but dense with emotion. And that is, I think, you know, humans spent probably hundreds of thousands of years figuring out how to express their feelings with their voice. And I think we sort of forget how much is possible, you know, we because we've kind of replaced a lot of that with textures and different sounds that are synthesized or created. But the human voice is capable of so much. And also space does a lot for, you know, to create an ambience and to create an emotion. And Skip James and Ali Farquhar Touré are just, yeah, examples of, of really what is, what is, what is possible with that. Um, yeah. I mean, there is limitless potential, potentially. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a good, a good example because to me, Skip James, I mean, I've never heard anybody say, oh, you have to listen to this Skip James album. Like Skip James is Skip James. He could do the same. He could rec- well. He has. He could record the same songs a dozen times, and each time you would kind of get something different out of it. Like his early, early like recordings from the '30s compared to his stuff from the you know the, the '50s or '60s is it's so drastically different. But it's the same songs. Um, some people are capable of that. It's not. I don't think it's easy to do at all. And yeah, Ali Farquhar Touré as well is somebody who can just play a song ten times and you get ten different feelings out of it was there sort of a natural connection there between i guess a lot of it's sort of music from molly was there a natural connection there between that african music and the blues for you not really to me they were pretty separate for a while because i know that there was like sometimes they kind of embellished the the bluesiness of ali farcature and some of that stuff he he definitely did i was watching something actually like not too long ago and he made a point to call his music the blues i i heard the link but to me it was it was there were two different things really for me it wasn't until i heard robert belfour who's like a you know a, i guess like a hill country kind of artist 
the way that he plays was so similar to this West, certain West African music that I was familiar with. And it wasn't in the, the Ali Farka Toure way where he was like reminding you, hey, this is where the blues comes from. And he's pretty much playing a blues song. It was like the way that he played just happened to be so similar to the way that you would hear somebody play the, you know, the hunter's harp, the Kamal Ngoni in Mali. That was the, when I started to really you know, explore the the connection, which was, you know, after I had delved into the West African music, you know, for years, I kind of heard that and started making the connections. But yeah, it took me, I had to make my own sort of connection there because the, there's all, you know, like I said, there's, there's the one that's been presented as a sort of marketing campaign. But then I think the real links between the blues and African music are a little more subtle. You ended up in Africa for a while. It was music that brought you out there initially. I went there. I spent about two months there um, in in Senegal. Um, yeah, and I just heard. I think I've only been to Senegal, but I think most a lot of West African countries you have. You know, obviously the borders are sort of defined by colonizers, so you have a lot of different cultures in every city. So I was able to meet people from you know from Mali and from Guinea and from. Uh, Sierra Leone and Nigeria and just heard so much different music. Well, I've only been to Nigeria, to Lagos, and unfortunately didn't was there for work, didn't have much time to sort of immerse myself in some of the more traditional stuff. Everything I heard was kind of on a sound system. It was like, uh, it was much more, much more modern music. Did you end up there to study? No, I just kind of went to hang out. I was playing music and somehow all my friends my social group ended up being pretty much exclude all all West African people. A lot of them had just gotten to Milwaukee within you know months or years, so they all still had a pretty strong connection to to home for them. And yeah, I just ended up going with them. Were you actually playing that style of music at the time? Yeah, yeah. I didn't really go to do anything but just to sort of hang out. But then I ended up um, learning and you know kind of informally studying with a lot of people. And you weren't playing it prior to visiting. Oh, yeah, I was for, I think I was 19 or 20 when I went, and I had been doing it for only about like a, two, maybe a year or two at that point. Part of why I ask is, is because it's almost like a question of like authenticity and that it must be sort of like difficult to feel like this outsider, you know, coming from America and, and going and playing that, that kind of music. And in the same way that there's a lot of these kind of built up ideas of authenticity around the blues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't feel that at all because to me, I I didn't really go seeking out this kind of music you know it just I kind of fell into it because just a bunch of the people that I knew were playing it and it was never my you know it wasn't really a plan it just was where I landed and there were there was less pressure because there's there are a lot of people you know foreigners who go to West Africa to learn mostly they want to learn you know djembe and sort of percussion and, and African dance and there's fewer people who are going there to learn the traditional music and the guitar style so you know nobody really you know i would you know i would walk past and see like the you know the korean and the german tourist in their drum circle but i think the fact that i came already knowing so many people from from the area and and also was just genuinely interested in the music i think i kind of got a, a pass and you know being black was a gave me a little bit of a sort of inside edge. Obviously I still was American and I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to, to think that, you know, it's, it's the same cause it's not, I was still regarded as a foreigner in a lot of ways, but there's different 
levels of a foreigner, you know. My first interest in African music was it was the Nigerian stuff. It was like high life music, which is kind of guitar. Yeah. That's just that's kind of a completely different world than what you're talking about. Yeah. I think you know, there's also an element of that in 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 Senegal, which is like, you know, their sort of modern guitar music is uh Mbalach and it's not really something that you'll go to somebody's house and see people playing it. You know, it's not, it's not really the folk music. It comes from a folk tradition, obviously, but it's more of a thing that you'll hear on the stereo or at a hotel or something. So I think that's, that was not another aspect of that. The fact that I was interested in the real like folk roots culture kind of made people think that maybe, you know, maybe I, it, I seemed more harmless, which I was. I had heard you in an interview sort of describe that, that trip. And, the, and the, the thing that really struck me was this image of going to visiting a house where everybody in the house was a musician. And it was they were almost like taking shifts to play music 24 hours a day. Yeah, that was uh, well, one of my good friends here. It was his brother-in-law's house because he was sort of the, you know, the head of the household. And he was the first... Everyone in the family was already musicians, but he was the first to make it in the sense to be able to go to Europe. And he was like the one that everybody saw as the big success. And he played he played Cora, the African harp, and he sang and, you know, played guitar and everything else. But he was known as a Cora player and singer. So he came back and, you know, bought some land and built built a compound. So pretty much everybody in the community and in that house and in the family really looked up to him. So they were like... And, you know, it's, 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 he came from an impoverished area. So everybody was like, all right, if we take this seriously, then we can, you know, we can be like him. So, and also, again, it's not like anybody had to, to go to any great lengths. This was a, a culture that they already came from. But the fact that they saw how far it could take them, they just became so dedicated that it was a nonstop people dancing, people playing music, people, you know, just round the clock sort of, trying to get get to that next next level that's what i was trying to wrap my brain around is you know is was the idea that people would like come in and and visit and enjoy music at the house or they were all just basically busting their asses all day to go out and play in, in the world yeah it was it was definitely like a lot of that because there were even some people in in that house who had their own sort of you know project starting but there's also like you know they have these neighborhood sort of dances where like everybody comes and and just puts on a show. So there are people practicing for that. There was a like a a big theater in Dakar that does like a a showcase of the of it's like a they had a showcase for uh, the Tukalor people, which is like a you know that ethnicity within Senegal and I think part of Mali. And there are some people like rehearsing for that where they played more electric instruments and just everybody had so much going on and there's such a rich culture within the city already that they were able to everybody could have their own thing you know so it's basically like going to a rehearsal space that people lived in yeah that's that, that's what it felt like it was like a rehearsal space that people lived in that was also like a you know a restaurant and lounge because there's always you know tea being made and food being cooked because it was still you know people's you know, family house what did you sort of take back from that trip i mean when you when you came back to the states were you playing in that style of music? Yeah, I was playing, yeah, like I said, before and after I was playing that. Um, but, you know, I, I 
what I took back really was the the dedication because, you know, like I said, a lot of them were trying to, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them were trying to sort of even get out of their situation. But for the most part, they were just trying to sort of serve the culture. Like, you know, like I said, these neighborhood dances, they wanted to do a really great job at that, even though there wasn't a huge monetary reward. It was just like this sort of traditional thing that you just wanted to make everybody proud of you for. Also, the fact that the the goal was to go back was to leave the leave leave Senegal to make money, but then to take that money and bring it back, which I thought was I think in most a lot of sort of immigrant communities that's a goal. But to see how hard these people worked to leave, but leaving was not the end goal. You know, they always wanted to come back and sort of keep the cycle going. That was the thing that I feel like you know we've lost as you know, people who come from a blues tradition and people, Americans in general, we've lost this idea that, you know, we can gain and use it to sort of promote where we come from. Leaving, but not escaping. Right. Paying back, not just the people who helped you get there, but subsequent generations of people. Yes, exactly. I mean, how have you applied that to your own life and work? Well, I haven't yet because I haven't gone gotten anywhere yet. But um, you got somewhere. You're talking to me on the internet. I mean, clearly things well, are looking up for you. Yeah. I have made it. Yes, I can't deny. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for the, for the time being, a lot of it is just you know theoretical and a lot of ideas. But I think the first thing I have to do is not. Mm. Well, you know, I did I did spend a lot of time in Europe. You know, as a young twenty something uh, musician and. I think the f- the first time I put all this into practice is when I there was a time where I was actively trying to, you know, expatriate and and live in Germany. I think I made the decision for myself that if I'm going to make a living off of this black American music, I have to live among black American people, which in Austin, ironically, that's not working out for me. <laughs> but still, you know, my point is that I think I, I decided to stay, you know, and I think that's that's always been important to me. And as long as I'm here, I think I'm going to be a part of that, you know, cultural promotion. Yeah, it's hard because obviously there's a, a long history of black Americans who only found success in Europe. They were embraced there in ways that they never would be here. Yeah. And I, I and obviously for a you know, a James Baldwin or a Jimi Hendrix or a Paul Robeson, it's it's a lot different. You know, the, the circumstances were, were different. But now there's still that same sort of urge because there's just a greater appreciation. Quality of life is just better there. I'll start there. <laughs> but also being appreciated as an artist is something that's hard to pass up. You know, it's going to be hard for me to to sing about the things that I sing about, knowing that I'm so far removed from the people that I'm singing about, you know, things such as what, um, you know, just the, the sort of social issues that I've, that I've written about in, in my, in the past. You don't feel like those are applicable in the same way over there? No, just because I don't, I'm not, I don't write these things generally, you know, they're pretty specific to, it's hard to sort of know what the dynamics are in a place you're not from. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's easy to, yeah, that's that's the the first the second part maybe is that it's hard to sort of tap into the the pulse of the society that you're you're new to and you you might you know 
that the language might not be your your first. You assume probably there's racism and probably there's xenophobia and all these things, but like there's all sorts of fun. There's all sorts of fun new kinds of racism, you know, right. that, that they have over there. It's very exciting to learn all the nuances, but you know, it's still it's it's stronger to to sing about things that you know, and it's also tempting to sing about things that you knew, but you know, if you haven't experienced, if, if that is a a fifteen year old experience for you, it's it's just. Again, nothing wrong with it, but to me, it seems like if you're going to make money off of suffering, you should, you know, take some of that with. I mean, you know, nothing else like the past two years have given you a lot of time to, you know, you said you had a lot of time to practice and in ways that you don't when you're constantly touring, you know, really abstractly, do you have a sense of kind of the direction that your music is going in? Yeah. I've always had a problem sort of reeling it in to stay in one direction, Um, but I think I've in the last, you know, four or five months that I've been able to get on the road, I've I've tried the stuff on the album. I've tried older stuff. I've tried newer stuff. And I think the one thing that people really crave, especially after the pandemic, and the one thing that I think I'm, you know, capable of doing is 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 making a an emotional connection with people, you know, which sounds kind of obvious that that's what people make music for. But I think there's a, there's a difference, you know, there are different ways to connect with people. But anyway, I think the direction that I would like to go in and that I'm trying to go in is, is just sort of the, the, you know, forgetting about genres and forgetting about instruments and just writing songs that people feel connected to in a very specific way. You ever like hear a song where it's like, how did, how did you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> forgetting about genres is one thing though. Forgetting about instruments is a, is another, I mean, yeah, you're a well, guitarist. Well, yeah. And that's, that's another thing that I, that it's sort of a, a chip on my shoulder. I don't, I don't want, I mean, people can do whatever they want, but I was just going to say, I see two, at least two guitars hanging right behind you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I my introduction to music was through the guitar and it was the way I learned to express myself and it's it's really important to me but I don't I don't know what if sometimes people come to my music expecting something guitar related if that's what they get out of it you know I got obviously no problem with that but I don't want that to be a a sort of a crutch or a distraction you know what I mean like is an instrument a crutch though I think especially in in the in things like the blues for example I think the guitar is supposed to serve the song. I don't, I, I, I'm one of those, there's a sort of school of thought that the blues is, you know, it's a, it's a sort of lyrical vocal music. It's not a guitar music. And the guitar is just there to, as a, for a supporting role. So that's, that's, that's the way I feel like if I, I feel like I would, I want to be able to write songs that could be sung a cappella or played on a piano. I don't want the guitar to be the, the main event, you know, if we talk about, you know, blues losing its way over the course of the 20th century, maybe that's one of the major ways that happened is it really did become just about the guitar. It became about solos, mm-hmm. you know, it became about Eric Clapton or whoever, right. <laughs> <Of> really, <laughs> which is, which I know it's another conversation, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like that, that was, yeah. Well, it, it makes it, like, it makes a lot of sense, though, because, I mean, we don't have to get started on Eric Clapton. But it, it, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's a distraction because everybody forgot that Eric Clapton was a racist asshole because they liked the way he played guitar. In the broader sense, I, you know, I mean, like specifically that 
yes, obviously agree that he isn't, he's an anti-vaxxer racist asshole. Yeah. We're on the same page about that. But like, that was kind of his takeaway, right? I mean, it was like, yeah. that's what he got from it was like, that it was just about, that it, it was about the instrument for him. Yeah. And I think that's, I don't know who started it, you know, but it's, it's, he it started a really ugly trend. I think that just is, we're still, I, I mean, yeah, I think we're still dealing with, with the repercussions of that. I mean, you know, Jimi Hendrix is one of those people that obviously one of the greatest guitar players ever, but for some reason people have, I consider him to be just as great of a songwriter as he was a guitar player, but a lot of people have sort of missed that part. Yeah, I talked to, uh, to Lester Chambers and Lester Chambers had, which I didn't realize until recently, he, he played harmonica on a mid seventies, uh, Miles Davis record. And I think that like that era, Miles Davis, like that was his whole thing was trying to transcend the trumpet, right. Of just trying mm-hmm. to like distort it, to amplify it, to, to make it sound like the guitar, to make it sound like other things. Obviously it would continue to be his primary tool because it was this thing that he was proficient at, but how can I build on that and how can I move out of it? Cause you're not going to like, you're good at playing guitar. You've been playing guitar for a long time. You're probably not going to just stop playing the guitar and pick up a different instrument. Oh, on the contrary. <laughs> well, I've done that several times in my life where I've completely just left the guitar alone and picked up other things. I don't think at this point in my career, anybody has much of an appetite for my, you know, solo mandolin album, but I hard to say it, it is hard to say. I mean, I have absolutely no problem just leaving the guitar and doing something else. Are these actual limitations with the instrument? Are these actual limitations with the genre or are these limitations that we're putting on it? Cause obviously hmm. you can still, there's a lot of room to move around in the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's exactly it. The limitations are sort of abstract and they're, they're fluid. Um, but for me, at the end of the day, we're talking about commercial music to a certain extent, you know, and if you want your albums to be in the blues section or you want to be at the blues festival, that's where those limitations come in. And, you know, it's it's really up to the artist. I've, I've decided at this point, you know, post after the album, I've, since the album, I've decided I'm not going to put those limitations on myself, but they were around me. You know, they're present in my head, whether I acknowledge it or not. I've seen you describe your songwriting as, as sad songs that, that like one of the through lines with a lot of them are, are that you're effectively writing sad songs. And there is, at very least for very obvious reasons, there's home for that in the blues. Yeah, I think that is, yeah, I, that, that is one, one of the things that made me more comfortable about, you know, the blues is that, you know, knowing where where it comes from is something that is makes me feel connected to the artists who sort of laid the groundwork, you know, and maybe sad is a, not the best term, but I think people, uh, some people don't want to, don't want the blues to have that sort of negative connotation that it's sad, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think part of the problem with my personal problem with a lot of, you know, pop music and contemporary music is that it's very sort of emotionally one dimensional. Like, you know, not everybody's happy all the time. Some people are sad all the time. There's a lot of really fucking depressed people out there. Especially these days. Yeah. You know, that that sort of speaks to a bigger question of how people consume music. Like, probably many people that do what I do now. I worked at a radio station in college, and I had a friend who had an all-blues show. And, you know, at the time, I couldn't really wrap my head around, around it and why somebody who would, like, immerse themselves 
in something that is, you know, that, that is sad or uh, depressing or, you know, telling these sort of these, these tales of, of a really hard life. And, you know, I think the fact of the matter is, is people engage with music in different ways. You know, some people want, some people when they're down, they want to engage with that, that escapism and other people really want to lean into it. Yeah. And all of that does exist in the blues, if you ask, you know, a hundred different people, some people will, will stereotypically think the blues is some kind of, you know, mindless thing that you hear at a, a house of blues or a, <laughs> playing in the background at a, a TGI Fridays in Memphis. <laughs> and some people think it's this like dark down sort of dreary, you know, depressed thing. And it is all of those things, but it's just what, what you, what you look for and what you take out of it. Have you been listening to music a lot? over the past couple of years during during the pandemic? Yeah, I would say so. At first, not at all. When I was working on the album, I, for a lot of different reasons, I just didn't want to hear any new music. There were a couple of albums that I would, you know, kind of go back to, but... You maybe didn't want to be too influenced by it? Yeah, that's something I'm always very worried about is, you know, accidentally lifting an idea from someone. But since the album's been done and out, I've been making a more conscious effort and I've been listening to a lot of music in the last maybe six months or so. Part of why I ask is because, you know, again, getting back to a, an interview that you did, you know, you had, you basically said there was like a period of your life of maybe a couple of years when you just weren't listening to music at all. And it jumped out at me because, you know, I was going through some like some, some health issues during the pandemic and I was like went through a pretty depressive period and like could not engage with music. Mm-hmm. This thing that I'd used for catharsis my entire life, I just I just couldn't do. It sounds like you went through something similar. Yeah, there have there've been different times in my life where, you know, I just, music just didn't mean anything to me. You know, I would just listen to it and try to get that, you know, I'd be like waiting for that feeling that I always got from it and it just would never come. And I'd just be like, that's even more depressing to not feel anything. And then you just kind of, well, for me, I just kind of stepped away from it and, you know, I would just drive in silence or maybe I would turn on NPR or something. And it went on for a while until usually it takes me to listen to something that I haven't listened to in a long time and sort of like get that feeling again or discovering something totally new. Like I remember one of the first times I like I remember being on stage and just really hearing noise. It was really, really bizarre. Like I almost felt like I was on LSD or something like I was playing in a band and like I just didn't it didn't even sound like music to me. I stopped playing music for a long time and then I discovered uh uh, Turkish music, like traditional Turkish and Arabic music. And it just felt like hearing music for the first time all over again and it just knocked me out of it. But I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a personality thing or something, but yeah, sometimes music just, just is painful. <laughs> you, know? you feel like you're, that's just like, that's cyclical, that that's something that's probably kind of inevitable that you're going to have to get knocked on your ass again to re-engage. I think in, in some ways, like that time that I'm talking about, that was kind of, rare and weird but there are times where i feel like making music for a living kind of takes the fun out of it and it's just like eh, i don't want to i don't want to be bothered with it because you know you listen to it i think anybody who's like really serious about music ends up listening to music sometimes you listen to it critically and you can't enjoy it you're like oh okay here comes the the keyboard player the minor third oh, of course saw that coming all right you, you know, know the sausage just made as they say yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yes so that that kind of comes and goes but as far as really not wanting to hear music at all that happened a couple times and i think that's more of a 
you know, side effect of severe depression. And I hope that doesn't <laughs> happen again. That's fair. It sounds like g- given the way the last you know years played out and, and the, the reception to the record, which has been pretty universally positive from what I've seen, you still are looking for a new way to engage. Yeah, I, I, I have. I've been, you know, pleased with the with the response. Like nobody's gone. Not many people have gone out of their way to, to trash the album, which is nice. <laughs> but I still have spent. I think I may have said this in another interview, but I just, you know, I'd been pursuing music like if with everything I had for maybe almost 15 years before I got the record deal. I just got, I had already experienced, and this is all as an independent artist, so all the no's were straight to my face. I had experienced so much rejection that it, it got me down for a while, but eventually I just had to not give a fuck. And I still don't. And, you know, it, it, people kind of might look at me as if I'm, you know, you know, something's wrong with me or like I'm a jerk or ungrateful or whatever. But I think you can't you can't choose. You either have to reject all of the the praise and the, the trashing or you have to let it all affect you. And I've decided to just ignore all of it. You finally got everything you want. And now you're like, what's what's my, what's my next thing? Yeah. So I, I, I don't I might I don't know if, if people are expecting anything from me, but. I don't, I'm not taking the, the acclaim or the response period as a sign that I'm doing the right thing. 